90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. It's the first week of class. I'm okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I do have something exciting that's very different this semester. You know, we go through these semesterly conversations and they're very similar, but this semester is different. How so? So we have hired a bunch of new professors and that means that I'm not teaching my half of earth history this semester. We're going to get on every other year um, schedule for that. And that freed me up at the very specific time that this one class is taught in our department, paleobotany. I don't know. I've always wanted to sort of take it. I've never taken anything like that. I always want to sit in on this course. I've never been able to. And this year, I'm sitting in on it. And it's been crazy. <laughs> Are you doing, like, the assignments? So I go into this course with my colleague who's teaching it, right? And I sit down, and it's a cross-listed upper division grad or undergrad grad course, right? So that's, there's 10 people in the class, four of which are, <laughs> it's all on Tuesdays, right? So I teach Tuesday morning. Four students from my Tuesday morning class were in the class, right? Okay. And then I teach Tuesday afternoon. Two of the students are in my Tuesday afternoon class. And so I come in and sit down. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And they're all kind of like, uh... All right. And this, this class is like down at the museum, right? So it's because it's paleobotany and the professor is a curator down there. And, you know, and they're like, this is weird. Why are you here? Okay. And so the professor goes to hand out the first day of class normal things. Like, here, I want to know what you know about phylogeny and all this biological stuff, right? And he goes, well, I want you to fill this out too. I'm interested. Okay. Well, AP Biology was... 22 years ago <laughs> so hey. it's been a while but i know some of these words <laughs> right so i fill that out and all this stuff and he's like okay and because it's a slash listed course you do different things in these upper division courses so he reads through those and then he like randomizes them all and he says okay look at the syllabus and you'll note that many of these topics have little stars by them those are discussions you're going to lead Okay, listen, so he has randomized these, and he's like, I'm just going to call names, pick which one you want. Cool. And then he gets to the end, and he's like, Shannon, which one are you going to do? Nah. <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> and all the students are like, uh, <laughs> like nervous laugh and look at me, and I'm like, are you? He's like, yeah, which one did you want to do? <laughs> what? So, yeah, he's making me do all the laughs, <laughs> and... That's that's great. It it is great. It was super funny because there was like four left. I mean, he obviously let me go, made me go last, so the students could pick what they wanted. Um, and there were four left, and two. I was like, well, two of these I already have entire lectures prepared that I talk about in two of my other courses. So I'll do this one. And I read some weird plant word that I didn't know what it was. I was like, I guess I'll do this one because I have no idea what this means. And he's like, good, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, um, I had to buy a notebook <laughs> to take notes. <laughs> You're not doing it on your tablet? Um, okay, well, I think I'm going to go back to doing it on my tablet. I didn't have my tablet. I didn't even actually think about having anything to write stuff with. Because I feel You're like... that student. I know. <laughs> that student I that showed know. up to the first day of class with nothing to write on. With nothing. And that happened. <laughs> that happened later on in class. And I couldn't even get <laughs> mad at the kid in the afternoon because I was like, I just did this. <laughs> like, I can't get mad at you. Here's a pencil. <laughs> that exact thing happened. Yeah. It was super funny. Like, I made notes, like, in the back of my planner. I was like, okay, I guess I got this one page here. <laughs> like, I'll just... And then I was like, well, I'm going to go buy, and I actually haven't bought a notebook yet because I'm still deciding whether I'm going to do it in my tablet. And I think I am. I think I'm going to go back. But I also am happy that 
he's not doing just like straight up PDF lectures. I think that's right. a horrible thing that we've done. It's horrible that we've gone to just teaching off of PowerPoints. So. Yes, because it puts the teacher on autopilot. It's awful. And it's too much information because you can, you can dump so much information into a PowerPoint slide and not really explain it as opposed to writing on the board. So I am also, those of you guys who have listened, I assume that Stephen and <laughs> our other few fans are the only ones left, right? Listening. Well, to if nobody right says anything to you after this, you'll know that they're gone too. That's exactly. Um, as you guys know, last year I talked about this. I taught exclusively like out of my own notes on the note on the chalkboard. And so I'm doing a little bit of a hybrid again. Well, I'm doing a little bit of a hybrid this year. I'm going to do a few pictures on the PowerPoint, but I'm still going to do the chalk talks because it just slows you down. It puts you at the same pace as the students writing. And I think it's, yes, I may provide less material, but I think the retention is better, which is probably more important. So yeah, that's how this paleo botany class is set up. I very much appreciate it. I'll probably take All my, right. yeah, take my, tablet next week and um yeah it's weird being a student that's my whole point one kid can't get his mind around it he goes what were you doing in class i said i'm taking the class <laughs> and he's i like, like to learn <laughs> i know and he's like what why because i want to take the class <laughs> and he said this is the best part he said are you paying for it <laughs> yeah and I said, yeah, I am, because the professor that teaches it wants me to take over and be the chair of the committee he chairs for our department. So, <laughs> yes. So I am paying for it. <laughs> Monetarily, no. It was something much more valuable. Much more valuable. So, yeah, it's been a crazy week. I'm, I'm super excited. Like, I was so excited. I'm like, I'm leaving my class to go to class, and I'm super stoked about it. <laughs> so, yep. I don't know if you listen, Rick, but I'm real excited to be in class. <laughs> right? So that's awesome. Yeah. Yep. So that's been my week. It's been the best first week of school ever. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yep. Well, we were trying to figure out what to uh, discuss, and you came <laughs> up with this topic of something that I said, oh, what? Uh, do you... <laughs> I don't even really want to tell you how I did this. Um, I literally Googled weird rocks. <laughs> and All right, well, the secret's out. Yep. <laughs> and I clicked on this thing, and I then spent at least 30 minutes trying to figure out how to pronounce it. <clears throat> what did you come up with? So I'm... 98% sure it's Hypatia. Okay. That that sounds, I was going to say Hypatia, but that's the uh -huh. Arkansas version. Yep. And that's what I was saying in my mind. And before I kept reading about it, I said, stop, I'm going to figure this out. Um, and so Hypatia of Alexandria was a female mathematician. Um, there's really cool stories about her because that happened in my... 30-plus-minute Wikipedia hole just about this name. But we're not talking about her. We are talking about this stone that's named after her. And it is indeed a weird rock. And a recently discovered weird rock. Yeah. And that's going to date me. Uh-huh. Uh, so <laughs> recently being December of 96. <laughs> yeah, so like 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah. what was that, three years before Pathfinder? I mean, yeah. oh my practically God. yesterday. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so there weren't, yeah, there aren't a lot of weird rocks that are newly weird rocks. It was pretty funny, too, because I was impressed at how many things came up when I Googled weird rock that we'd already talked about. But, <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. but anyway, <laughs> yeah. So this is a weird rock. It's newly discovered, and it sort of goes into, we've talked a lot about extraterrestrial rocks lately, and so this is kind of 
you know, right in that wheelhouse. Um, and even though it was discovered in 96, there was just a paper that came out last year that was like, in 96, it's like, this is a weird thing. They've been studying it since then. And then in 2002, or 2022, this paper came out that we will discuss about it. Right. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. Interestingly enough, we, like I said, we talked about classification. Uh, it's not actually even recognized as a meteorite specimen because the original sample was only 30 grams. Yeah, little tiny guy, which is crazy because it was found in the Libyan desert. <laughs> how, like, needle in yeah, a how haystack? Do you find that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so there's a famous part, and I think we've talked about this we'll probably talk about it more um a famous place in the libyan desert where they have all this libyan desert glass you can buy this in a whole bunch of different like rock shops and everything and when you hit silica sand with some kind of bolide right whatever it is you can melt it and make this glass and that's what libyan desert glass is and this Hypatia stone came from around there and it's not glass but I mean I guess it was found and the thoughts are well maybe this is part of the bolide that created all this milk glass right right but now we're pretty sure that's not the case either right <laughs> yeah there's a, there's a lot of interesting things about <laughs> About this Hypatia rock. Um, it's so tiny. And they just immediately like cut it up and send it off to all these people to start to analyze it, right? But when you find something, we talked about impact craters a lot on here, right? And this Libyan desert glass, definitely from, you know, a high temperature event, hotter than anything a volcano would ever do. Um so you know it was formed extraterrestrially, right? And so it's it would be easy to say, okay, we've got this tiny little dark thing. It's probably, you know, one of these meteorites. And if you remember, we talked about this um, not too long ago. When we look at these pieces of rock that we think are meteorites, and they actually wind up being from non-terrestrial origin we have them categorized based on like where they came from in a planetesimal, right? And so that's one of the things that you want to know about, okay, what's, what is the chemistry of this weird rock I found? Because then it will tell me something. And so you can listen to our meteorite show that we did and we talk about those different chemistries and we'll talk a little bit about it now. But those chemistries tell you the origins of these rocks. But again, as you said, John, this Hypatia rock, yeah, it's weird. <laughs> right. Well, and, you know, one of the first things that they found out is, well, it's got diamonds, so that's not glass. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Little nano diamonds. And those are super, super teeny tiny diamonds. And those are one of those things. We haven't talked a lot about this. And we should have um, Dr. Andy Elwood Madden back on. He is a student working on nano diamonds right now associated with impacts. And that's one of those things that you get very frequently associated with extraterrestrial rocks are these tiny little nano diamonds. Right. So... It's got nano diamonds. The chemistry is not similar at all to the desert glass. Right. So is this another impact event? Could we have had an impactor that made this Libyan desert glass and then some other impactor at some other point in time come mm-hmm. and somebody happened to find it? That's a lot of happen tos. Yeah. I mean, that kind of stuff I just don't know if you can dismiss, but yeah. That is a lot of happen to. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, yeah, you have to remember, too, we're talking about hundreds of millions, well, billions of years here. So coincidences are going to happen if you give them a few billion years. Right, exactly. We're not that big of a, that big of a planet hanging out in the solar system, right? <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, there are 
a lot of characteristics of meteorites. And so you get one and you say, okay, there's these tiny little pieces. The pictures of like what they have of this Hypatia stone, they're just so tiny, <laughs> right? I don't, they look like black pieces of sand, essentially. Yeah, I mean, they're a few grams. They're pretty small. They're pretty unimpressive. And honestly, if I had seen this on the ground, I probably would have kept walking. Oh, yeah. I would have been like, that's a weird piece of basalt or something like that. Um, <laughs> that some student brought and dropped here to make me look at it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I was just thinking I have a bracelet that is like basalt beads. It looks like if you crushed one, that's what it would have been. Yeah. Um, so... You find these things and you say, let's do these chemical analyses on them and let's see what we have. And the reason that Google popped out, this is a weird rock, is because the chemical analysis on it didn't really match any of the chemical signatures that we would expect from a meteorite. Yes, it's got these nano diamonds but it doesn't have any of the percentages or ratios of the different elements that we would expect from an iron or stony iron or just a stony meteorite. Right. And there's only so many sources of extraterrestrial things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, well, there's some evidence that was published in 2013 that this is a comet fragment. Which is really cool because we don't, have a lot of those right and most of them are microscopic uh-huh yeah which i mean this is tiny yes but mm -hmm. so maybe it's a comet fragment i mean all right i thought this was really cool some of the things i talked about so it doesn't have a lot of silica in it okay it's got a lot of these nano diamonds it has a lot of iron, okay? It's got this weird, and this thing I didn't heard of at all, it has like an excess of xenon. Right. Yeah, that was really strange. Um, and xenon, this particular um, xenon flavor, is the daughter of extinct iodine. Man, that was a weird... So there's like this iodine xenon chronometer <laughs> that you use and it's really old so like really really old so that says okay maybe this isn't just one of these things that's hanging out in our normal sort of meteorites that we get right so okay this they think whatever it is was about 28 and a half million years ago. Because that's when the Libyan glasses were made. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also have a hard time seeing how this survived 28 and a half million years. Oh, such a short time period. Come on now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it is diamonds, but diamonds are unstable to surface. Okay. Mm -hmm. So then a few years later, so fast forward to 2015. Another paper came out and said, no, no, this cannot be comet, meteorite, anything like that. Yeah, because, well, like you said, there's not enough silicon and there's massive amounts of carbon. Right. Mm hmm. Hmm. Okay. So now we've had one paper that said it's comet, one paper that said it's not, but didn't offer a lot of other options. And a few years later, the original research team comes back out with some more analyses, right? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, one of the things that they said in that, um, was it in the 2015 paper, yeah, I think so. We didn't talk about this on our show, and I don't even know how to say this word, like uriolite. It's like a rare type of stony meteorite that has the different things that you would see, like these graphite nanodiamonds and the high percentage of carbon. 
as well. So they're like, okay, that's what it is. It's just a weird meteorite. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Great. So that's what 2015 says. It's a weird meteorite. Okay. Then we put these tiny little pieces under a scanning electron microscope. Great. And now we're looking at these very small differences. And in this 2021 paper that comes out now, they're looking at this carbon and some nitrogen and they're saying, okay, there are these sort of weird two different matrices that are very strange. So we need to analyze the different matrix matrix compositions in this. And we're going to use some different things. I've never used proton-induced X-ray emission analysis. I have never heard of it. I nope. assume it's you... <laughs> You bombard something with protons mm-hmm. and excite electrons up somehow, some energy transfer, and then when they fall back down, they emit characteristic X-rays, maybe? That's what I'm guessing, too. And so I think just uh, certain elements must be better categorized by this, I guess, right here. Uh, yeah, so we've used this weird thing that you and I don't know about (laughs) to try to figure out the compositions of these two very distinct but also strange matrices in this Hypatia rock. Which the two already gives me some pause, right? Because how's that happen in space? Mm -hmm. We're used to differentiation on a planetary scale. Right. But we're talking about something, you know, that smaller than an iPhone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, and because I am not super chemically inclined or inclined in all of these different... Um, <laughs> or inclined to be chemically inclined. Correct. <laughs> Correct. That's the best thing about that paleobotany class. He is not chemically inclined either. It's fantastic. Um, because usually I'm in a department of geochemists, so I have to watch my mouth. (laughs) So they do these analyses and say, man, you know, we've got an awful lot of iron in this stuff too. We have these weird different matrices. Maybe this is the inside of a comet that's been turned into space dust. Because we've got space dust, so let's compare the composition to a bunch of space dust. Okay. And, yeah. And, I mean, it sort of looks like that. Yeah. But, like, everything else about this rock, it's sort of. Exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's sort of. But it's definitely different than most meteorites. Right. But that doesn't mean we've found all the meteorites, I guess. Right? And the deal is, there's not a lot of silicon. And so they keep saying in here, and I guess I just don't quite understand this, that it can't come from a differentiated body. Because the elemental percentages don't match up with any part of differentiated bodies that we know of. It doesn't match up with core, mantle, crust sort of thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't quite get that either, but that's me not having a stellar geochem background. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exact exactly. So it seems like we're just we're comparing it to these like four things that we know. And it doesn't compare. And so we say, okay, this came from someplace crazy. Right. And this, this is one thing that always amazes me about geochemistry. It is very precise to the point of them being able to say, okay, this doesn't match this profile exactly. So we're going to rule it out. Whereas in geophysics, we're like, well, I mean, <laughs> It kind of looks like this other thing. Close your eye. Yeah, okay, there you go. It does. (laughs) 
you know, and I mean, geo, geophysics can be very quantitative, but at the same time, not in the way that geochemistry is. Right. Yeah, that's true. And I'm not used to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the certainty, which I know it sounds crazy when you look at geochemical age dating of something and you're like, it's 20 million years, plus or minus three. <laughs> and, you know, well, that's not very precise. That's pretty amazing. Though. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. First thing in my head is like, wow, plus or minus three. I can only give you plus or minus 10. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of stuff so, can happen in three million years. So it does impress me. I also wonder how much stuff does get ruled out that shouldn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just because you're basing the entire history of some sort of impactor on a sample that has re-entered an atmosphere. Right. And so there's a little bit of discussion about that. We know what we do know for sure. The presence of these like nano diamond things, that means this thing was a piece of some kind of bolide. Because you can't get those any other way. Right. So that's that we know of. Right. But also <laughs> there that's the key one. <laughs> exactly. That we know of yet. Um it, but there's also all these other mechanical and chemical things just like you said john if this is if this truly is from the bolide from that made the libyan glass that's 28 million years old where was this little guy setting like it was found at the surface lots of chemical weathering can happen in a desert an awful lot right how has it been modified then you know so right mm-hmm so, so there's that, but yeah, so you said, okay, well, it doesn't match this profile, so we're going to think up some other possible explanation, <laughs> and this is where, man, I'm going to get so much hate mail, but like, it's a little straw graspy, right? Oh, see, but I love it. I think it's very interesting. <laughs> like, and, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing to put out there. Like, yes, it, it could very well be this explanation. And you could spend the rest of your life trying to prove that. Yeah. That, so this is absolutely true because this is a weird rock for a reason. If we had a bunch of this kind of thing, we could be like, yeah, this matches it. So what they've done, and I, I love to talk about this because I, I, this is the most interesting part of chemistry for me, is like where do the elements come from, right? Where do they come from? And I teach this in my non-major courses too just because I like to write these words. On the board, right? <laughs> so you get to say that at the Big Bang, whether it happened or not, I know there's a lot of contention about this now, which is a very interesting time to be living in science. But yes. we do know these big explosions of stars, right? They produce a certain amount of elements. So like the light elements came from like Big Bang nucleosynthesis, Okay. So you made them, nucleosynthesis, right? And then stars happen, and then stars explode. And there are different kinds of stars, different kinds of supernovae, right? As they explode, they produce these heavy elements and a whole bunch of other different elements based on what star type. We've talked about the Hertzsprung-Russell diagram before, right? Um, yep. And so this is where they go for this stone, is this came from a supernova, a weird supernova. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that's the, that's the graspy at straws part, I guess, that you're talking about. But is it, it is an interesting idea, right? Right. I mean, it, it is a feasible thing. and As feasible as we know. Right. And I don't say grasping at straws because, like, well, we don't. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Could be, and we'll probably never know for sure. Mm-hmm. Right, because so it comes, they've said that because of the amount of iron specifically in it, that it comes from a type 1A supernova, right? It couldn't be, which has to do with white 
dwarfs. It wouldn't be like a red giant supernova. It would have to be this red white dwarf supernova system because the pressures involved with that. Um, and then I started to look up type one, a supernova and they have to do with um, like a binary star system too. So like, it's a very, very specific thing. Well, and then to add to the stack against Occam's razor here, it's, it's, it's not an exact match. Right. So some of the elements are between 10 and 100 times more prevalent than a model of a type 1A supernova would suggest. Right. So the iron matches, and that's the only way that they can account for it. But you're right. This other stuff is. And this is where I felt like they're like, ah, oh, this could be atmospheric effects or something else. It's well, like, so six Ooh. out of the 15, <laughs> six out of 15, almost half had the wrong proportions. Yeah. And this is where I said, well, it could have been inherited from a red giant. Okay. <laughs> but we're not in a red giant now. We're in this weird binary system that has to have a very specific set for the supernova to happen. And then it has to reenter our atmosphere, land in the middle of a bolide event. I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, I, that... I, nothing's out of the realm of possibility, but it is a big stack against Occam's razor here. Right. And it's not to say this research is wrong at all. Like, oh, not at all. Yeah, it's not at all. So don't don't take that as that. But it is very weird. Very like, weird. Weird things happen, and we do record them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And they did try the simple explanations to start with of, it's a comet. Right. Nope. Like, so... Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I offer no better solution. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, you know, what's happened since we found this in 1996? You know, we've landed on comets now. And I feel like when we landed on that, well, when the European Space Agency landed on that comet, it's like it was a lot rockier than we thought comets were. And it blows my mind because we learned from when we were little, comets are balls of, you know, a little bit of dust, but mostly ice. And then we land on this comet that's like essentially a rock. And it's like, oh, there's a lot we don't know. Right. Well, and also, we've only had the thing 27 years. Right. In terms of research time. Yeah. That's not a lot. Yeah. Like, we're still figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Look exactly. at how long it took to develop basic principles of geology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot longer than that. That's true. And I mean, since then, you know, weird stuff, this Umawa-Mawa thing came through our you know, planetary system. You mean the spaceship? <laughs> Absolutely. It was a spaceship. That is correct. <laughs> you know, so we've had weird stuff happen. So it's like, this might be, this might be exactly what they say it is. But I mean, even the researchers here are like, man, this is our best guess right now. Let's keep going. Yep. This is what needs to be done next, which is how science gets done. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But it's a weird rock. We can agree on that. <laughs> it, it does fit the classification of a weird rock. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it's really cool. I mean, it's a really neat study, and this is the first thing you would do to go about it. Um, but yeah, we're gonna have to come up with some different. I don't know. We gotta have some different samples to compare it, compare it to, right? Maybe you find. Some more of these pieces out there. Be really cool if this was truly a piece left over directly from something older than our solar system that comes from like stellar nucleosynthesis. That'd be really cool. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm curious. Like, surely people have gone and looked for. I know. I want to know more about this rock was found this way, right? And it's like, it says it was found by an archaeologist. So not even a geologist. So surely geologists have gone out there and looked for more stuff, right? You would think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very, very interesting little piece of rock. Hmm. Definitely well, worth talking about. Just seemed like a great, great, you know, 
podcast topic. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, these pieces are so small. It'd be real easy for them to get, you know, stuck in somebody's beard, right? <laughs> I hope that was the segue you were going to make. <laughs> it's, it's the best transition I could do on that one to everybody's favorite segment of the show. Fun Paper Friday. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Man, it was like a... I don't know, just a confluence of amazing events for me to find this paper and this topic, I will say. And I appreciate it because now it's going to give me undeserved confidence. I absolutely thought you would appreciate that. Um, So in integrative organismal biology, impact protection potential of mammalian hair testing the pugilism hypothesis for the evolution of human facial hair by Viserys et al. So in short, (laughs) did beards evolve so that we could get punched in vulnerable areas like the jaw that get broken a lot in fights and have something to help us absorb the impact? Oh man, this is a pugilism hypothesis for the evolution of human facial hair. This paper I'm going to talk about a lot. This shook me to the core. Number one, dudes are the worst. (laughs) This is what I took from this, right? Dude lions and dude humans. (laughs) Ouch. Because all they do is fight, right? That's basically what this says. (laughs) And like, it almost suggests too that humans evolved the way we evolved because we hit each other. <laughs> I mean, they probably deserved it, right? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was super interesting. Um, yeah. It was really cool. Yeah, no, like, I've always thought that the facial hair would be something that like hasn't evolved out yet. Right. Not the other way of has evolved in because, yeah, we can't keep our our meat hooks off each other. Yeah, right? ex- exactly. So I remember this AP Biology. This is going to come full circle because I remember something from AP Biology <laughs> a lot. And it's called sexual dimorphism. So if you got a male and a female animal and they look different, that is dimorphism. Okay, and so there has to be reasons why they look different. Because a lot of male and female animals don't actually look very different. But this is one thing, and th- and they even call it the most prominent sexual dimorphic thing for humans, is the fact that dudes grow facial hair and women don't. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so, I mean, some, some species, it's so hard that you have people whose job is like, yeah. A chick sexer for exactly. chickens. That's exactly what I was just thinking. Like, this is the reason that I bought five, five females and I had to give three of them away. Because yep. I had to wait five months before they started crowing. And I'm like, oh, no, those aren't girls at all. Right? <laughs> so the also interesting point of this, very first paragraph, the introduction so we're talking about faces and facial hair it says that the most common like fighting injury is breaking the jaw okay and (laughs) dudes break their jaws a lot 68 to 92 percent more injuries to the face from fights for males versus females (laughs) I mean, where's the first place you're going to hit somebody? I guess. And women just yell at each other, I guess. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> so if that facial bone suffers the most fractures from being pounded with a fist, what do beards do? Right? And the whole experimental setup, I thought you would love. <laughs> Right. So, I mean, the question is, is it like putting a gym mat on your face? Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And we'll get into the whole, like, well, yes, this is different for males and females, but also within humans, there are some, you know, races that don't really grow beards. And then they talk about the different facial hair in apes and chimps, too, because 
those adult males also fight quite a bit, but differently than humans do. So does this gym mat on your face really work or not? So you've got to take a face and crush it then, right? How do they... <laughs> and they investigated the possibility of getting cadaver beards, and mm-hmm. it just wasn't really feasible. And it also probably wasn't a good... You know, the skin on a cadaver isn't going to be as hydrated as your skin is now, which will take forces I mean, I don't know. It is it is winter in the South. <laughs> okay, yeah, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they settle on sheep skin, which I think was very interesting. And even though, like, the fleece of sheep is thicker, well, it's... It's not the actual fiber of hair isn't thicker, but the amount is more. And so they say that it is an analog because human hair is much thicker and longer than sheep fleece. And so even though sheep fleece is, there are more fibers in there, it's sort of like a trade-off between human beards being actually, the actual hair being much thicker than the fleece on a sheep. Yeah, so sheep hair is a quarter the diameter of a human hair, but then you're looking at 6,000 versus 70 follicles per square centimeter. Yeah, yeah, so there you go. And so they did that, and they made fake bones, which I assume is from a recipe that everyone agrees is fine, right? (laughs) From (laughs) manufactured by Pacific Resort research laboratories. I thought mm-hmm. that would be a very interesting business to be in. <laughs> what do you do? Make pretend bones. Um, so they've got this fuzzy piece of sheep, but they also have a piece of sheep that they sheared. Okay. Because lots of dudes don't have full beards. They have very short trimmed beards. And right. then whatever <laughs> yeah. poor undergraduate had to sit there and, pluck all the hairs off of this. <laughs> because, and the reason I want to see about the trimmed is, okay, the hair might not provide a lot of impact help, but the fact that there are roots going down into your skin instead of these plucked hairs could still increase the rigidity, the resilience, the energy absorption of the skin. Right. So we've got a full beard, a trim beard analog, and a totally hairless plucked piece of skin. And then they smash it. (laughs) Yeah, and so they're all soaked so that they're moist, as you said, and they're on their fiberglass bone. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, they pick up a weight and drop it. Yeah. Which, of course, is done in compliance with an ASTM standard. Because there's an (laughs) ASTM standard for everything. In this case, it's D5420. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. That was good. (laughs) So this blunt fist approximation cracks down on these bearded face approximations and yeah it's significant <laughs> it is but okay so look at figure two uh-huh. yes. this is a graph of time in milliseconds on the x-axis mm-hmm. force kilonewtons on one y-axis and energy in joules on another y-axis mm-hmm. so you see that for the fully bearded sample the force only hits about 0.6 kilonewtons. Right. For the other two, it hits about 0.8. 0.8. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's much more spread out in time mm-hmm. on the bearded sample, whereas the other two, it's a very impulsive source. Yeah, that is true. I don't understand the Why? energy curve. Yeah. Mm. No, so like... So, okay, so energy. Let's think about this. A joule... You're going to take a force over a displacement, right? Right. Because we're, we're getting work. So you're looking okay. at like a Newton meter. And they say in here that they're getting uh, energy absorbed by the sample in joules is calculated from the amount of kinetic energy lost by the striker head from the start of impact to the end of impact. Okay. How does this energy curve go down ever? Like in panel A... You see the energy go up, and then it reduces. You don't lose energy in the system. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. 
like to me, the energy imparted to the face should be should a continually increasing curve until it's flatline. Right. Yeah, or it if it's some kind of instantaneous energy, it's not energy. It's like vibration of fleece follicles. I, and then, so in panels B and C, you see the energy increase as the force increases. And then it's a flat line, even after the impact is done. Right. Mm -hmm. So that acts like it's a cumulative energy. Right. But if it's a cumulative energy, it can't be not monotonically increasing, uh-huh. like it shows in panel A. And A, right. So I can't figure out what they're actually showing with the energy curve. Oh, Maybe that is I'm just missing something. Okay. Hmm. The force curve makes perfect sense to me. Right. And I don't really even need the energy curve to... Correct. Interpret the results, but I'm very confused by As it. As to why that's like that. Oh, that is very true. Hmm. So if somebody, if somebody smarter than me can figure that out, I, I'd love to know the answer because... I don't, I don't understand how that was calculated. Well, they did use Excel for everything, so I don't know if that. I did notice that uh, (laughs) all data calculations, statistical analysis, and graphs are performed using Microsoft Excel, Microsoft Corporation, Redmond, Washington. I thought you would die for that one. (laughs) I was curious what the sampling rate is on this. So it's an Instron Instruments loading frame. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh. You know, these graphs are 25 milliseconds, and there's definitely more than 25 points on the graph, so we're sampling it well over a kilohertz. Right. So I'm guessing 10 to 100 kilohertz sampling rate on this. Mm-hmm. Seems weird uh, that that's not said, but... Yeah, I'm just, I'm just kind of curious, because especially when you start doing these kind of integrative calculations, or looking at peak forces, like not way oversampling means that you can average out a peak. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sure that's something they thought about. It's just not mentioned in here. Hmm. Anyway, that's just me overanalyzing Yeah, no, that, that is very interesting. Yeah, you got me, like, stopping to think about that. Well, the statistical analysis shows that less than half the time... Or more than half Beyond the, time. the two sigma of a doubt. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the furred, the bone underneath the full beard doesn't break. Yeah. <laughs> so you get... And plucked and sheared, okay, there's not really much difference. No, no. All of the, all of the plucked ones broke. Not all of the sheared ones broke, but most of them did. Statistically, so if all you're gonna of them go, broke. If you're going to grow a beard for self-defense, you go got to go Grizzly Adams. All the way. <laughs> um, I thought this was very interesting. They said that they, this is in the findings of this, that beards do protect you from getting hit in the face with a fist, is in contrast to another recent study that says that beards on mixed martial arts fighters are not intimidating <laughs> and have nothing to do with who wins the mixed martial art fight. But that study didn't say anything about like how many jaws got broken or if it protected the beards, protected them from facial damage. It just analyzed who won the fight and right. was the beard intimidating because I guess that's been suggested in other animals who have, this form of sexual dimorphism like lions. Like, the bigger the mane, the more social cred the lion gets? Question mark. Right. Yeah. Or not. So, yeah. So, the other interesting thing is their peak forces in here, mm-hmm. about 0.8 kilonewtons, that's about 180 pounds of force. Mm-hmm. And from what I can tell, the... Real rough statistics from a martial arts website are that you can bank on 350 to 450 pounds of force from a solid punch. There you go. Okay, I was going to say it sounded low. Which works out to 120 to 150 PSI, but they're also not using a fist. They're using an indenter. Oh, right. That's about three centimeters sphere. So 
okay, 25.4 millimeters to an inch. Like, okay, so that works out about right. Mm-hmm. But it does amaze me that the average human punch has that much force. Oh, no. Does not amaze me. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm curious what their sample of average human punch is, then I'll put it that way. It doesn't amaze me because also in this discussion, it basically says that <laughs> we deviate in the sexual dimorphism, possibly because male humans hit each other a lot. <laughs> hmm. That's why other ape ancestors do not have do not display this sexual dimorphism. And that makes me really sad to think that this happened. Like, we evolved because of fighting. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it was was, was very interesting because they talk about the differences in the sizes of male and female human hands and, like, strength in the arms and everything that also could go into supporting their hypothesis. Right. Yeah. So, hmm. Hmm. But yeah, the point is, go full Grizzly Adams, and maybe you won't get hurt as badly in your next bar fight. But also, we also have had a fun paper about the amount of poop found in human beards, so do what you will. (laughs) Right. And, you know, maybe don't get in bar fights that much. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, just in case, right? <laughs> just in case. Yeah, just in case the fist punching you is outside of the two sigma. <laughs> yep. Well, Shannon, if folks have statistics on how their beard has protected their jaw from being broken, we did get a couple of your resolutions in, by the way. So Excellent. You have your accountability partners. We know them now. <laughs> Uh, how can folks send that in? Show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. You can find us on Twitter at don'tpanicgeo. I'm at Shannon Doolin. John is at geo underscore Lehman. And as always, thank you to our Patreon supporters. If you would like to support us, you may do so. Patreon.com slash don'tpanicgeo. And until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.